0: Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 11. Our text this morning, verses 1 through 21 of Acts chapter 11. As you recall, this account is a follow up of Peter's ministry, gospel ministry to the house of Cornelius and the very unique very surprising and very enlightening infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles. People who were not Hebrews. Beginning in verse 1, Now the apostles and the brothers who throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles who had received the word of God So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began to explain it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheep descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. and all was drawn up back into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning and I remembered the word of the Lord how he said John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit if then God gave them gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could stand in God's way when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus, and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you may help us see the power of your gospel this morning. May our hearts be sensitive to your leading, to your guiding. May our minds and our wills be in compliance with your teaching and admonition. Help us to be faithful from what we hear this morning. It is in the name of our Savior and for his glory we pray. Amen. We are all very familiar with Scripture, the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greek, or also for the Gentile. Jeremiah 23.9, the Bible says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. We are seeing two verses as introduction because Paul saw very clearly. Indeed, he lived it out in his ministry. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was powerful. It was authoritative and it had ability to save souls. It had every right to condemn or condemn or command repentance in men. Condemn men for sin or command them to repent. And it had every ability to make changes in man's heart, enabling him to repent and turn from his wicked ways and turn to God. Jeremiah 3.29 3, 29 says, "...is not my word like a fire." And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, sometimes God's word will break the stubborn will of a man's heart. We already read this morning, and as part of our meditation, that God will remove from your heart a heart of, remove from your, from your soul a heart of stone, and replace it with a tender heart of flesh. That's what we want to see whenever we see someone coming to God. We don't want to see their hard-heartedness. We don't want to see their stubborn wills. We want to see compliance. We want to see repentance. We want to see receptiveness. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the Apostle Paul again says, Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God— bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. This is what we long to see. This is what we pray for as Christians. Again, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, And in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul saw a lot of resistance to his message. He also saw a lot of fruit born from his preaching and his teaching. We, as a New Testament church, as a modern-day church, need to be striving toward that kind of fruit in our ministry. Yeah, we're going to see some resistance, but we should be seeing fruit. There is significant power in the gospel, and it is here in our text this morning. It is demonstrated in our text. I want to see three things this morning First, God's sovereign work of salvation through his word and spirit is significant. You're going to hear that word a lot, significant. God's sovereign work of salvation through his word and spirit is significant. God's power over rebellious, stubborn souls of men is significant. And God's provision of mercy and grace is significant and must not be forgotten. They say that hindsight is twenty-twenty. When you get past a situation or a tragedy or something big in your life and you look back and how could that have been better? Sometimes it's an understatement. We can think throughout many events in history, usually tragedies. If only something had been done different, more lives could have been saved. We think of the Titanic, the White Star Line that built the ship, promoted the ship as the most modern and safest ship afloat. But on her maiden voyage, they didn't see the fact that the ship was not equipped with enough lifeboats was a significant risk. After all, it was the safest ship afloat. They did not consider that racing through a flow of icebergs at record-breaking speed was a significant risk. And for the last hundred years, volumes have been written about the historical facts of that night. Thousands of questions have been asked. What if they had done something different? December 7th, 1941, not far, from the har- not far from Pearl Harbor, on a hilltop, there was some brand new technology set up and in use. Radar brand new technology. They saw the incoming aircraft from the Japanese armada. They saw the attack approaching, but they either thought, they argued back and forth, is this an error? Is the machinery working right? Or is this the flight of B-17s we were expecting? It looked bigger, they said, it looked bigger than anything they'd ever seen on a screen before. What if if they had been able to initiate a warning before the planes got to the harbor? I remember on January 1986, we kept our daughter at home for school so that she could watch the space shuttle launch on television. It was quite shocking when the thing just incinerated before the world's eyes about 90 seconds after launch. There were warnings, unusually cold morning for Florida. There was ice hanging from the scaffolding. There were known failures, engineers had found failures in the O-rings that did fail on that flight that caused the explosion. What if people had paid attention to the details of each one of these tragedies ahead of time? And then most recently, this condominium in Surfside, Florida. There are going to be a lot of what-ifs come out of that as well. Why is it that we only realize how significant the details are after any disaster? Too often the important details are ignored. Well, preacher, I I see what you're saying or what you mean, I think, but what is the significance with the text? Historically, the church has repeatedly experienced spiritual disasters, spiritual apostasy, spiritual failure, because the church fails to see significant details that are taught to her in Scripture. Anytime the church fails is because people in the pews and even people in the pulpits start getting things wrong. If we're going to claim that the gospel has significant power, we have to understand what that power is. Because when we look back through the history of church, every time there's a failure, there's, every time there's, there's a spiritual disaster, there's spiritual apostasy, there's separation, there's division, there's fracture. We want to be faithful. Why does Luke give this story of this account of Peter and Cornelius again? We've already read through the accounts where it tells us when it was happening, while it was happening. The account of Cornelius, his v- visit from an angel of the Lord in verses 10, chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And then he retells it again in chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. And then again, we've just read the account where Peter tells the people in Jerusalem in verses 11 through 15. And then Peter's part of the story where he sees the vision coming down on a sheet from heaven and all of these foods these supposedly forbidden to eat, he is commanded to eat by the Lord. And then he tells it again in verses 27 through 29. And then again in verses 11 through 4, 11 verses 4 through 10. Why are these repeated? It seems redundant. It seems boring. God does not stutter. And when he tells something repeatedly, it is for a reason and for a purpose. There's something here we must see, we must be aware of, we must wake up to. Something was happening that was significant. First of all, we need to see that this was fulfillment a very special fulfillment, a very unique fulfillment that was, had an impact upon the whole world. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, we, give, we see the promise that God gave to Abraham. God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, and, the, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham's descendants will be that kind of blessing. To everyone. Genesis 18 18, again, since Abraham shall surely become a great, mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Again, 22 18, Genesis, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 26 4, again, all the nations. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So what we're seeing here in the book of Acts, repeatedly telling the story of how the Holy Spirit came, brought the gospel to the Gentiles, is a fulfillment of these passages and others in the Old Testament. And God wanted Luke to make sure that the people who read his letter understood this God's sovereign work of salvation through his word and spirit is significant that's the first point we want to see here is the example Old Testament prophecy and promise fulfilled first in Acts chapter 2 the account the record of Pentecost and again Acts chapter 10 where the Holy Spirit just like on the day of Pentecost visited the Gentiles. We read again and again and again. The gospel came to the Jews first, then to the Greeks or to the Gentiles because that is a fulfillment of the prophecy. If you remember in the text, the word got back to Jerusalem. Peter was remained with them for a few days to disciple the new converts and give them some some direction about what to do next. And then he went on back to Jerusalem. By the time he got there, word had already travelled back. And he was summoned. I'm paraphrasing he said, Peter, you dared set foot in a Gentile's home. You ate at a Gentile's table. God inspired Luke with the importance of the issue because he knew that the people wouldn't get it. Luke, you need to repeat this. You need to tell it again. You need to let them know what this means. Why is this significant? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. Jew first and also the Gentile. There is no difference between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is over all and is rich unto all who call upon him. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, You are all one in Christ Jesus. God's sovereign work of salvation is through his word and spirit, and that is significant. It might seem like a little thing to you. Oh, oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. I understand that it's important. I understand it has power, but when scripture seems to repeat itself and your eyes just kind of roll, oh, not again, stop, And think and focus. Why is it telling me this again? Second, God's power over rebellious, stubborn souls of men is significant. The Holy Spirit did move that day. You know, when I sit around and read and sometimes even hear. I'm pausing because I just had a... Sometimes preachers ad lib. As we preach and present a message, thoughts come into our minds that maybe this might be a good... And I'm wondering whether I should say this. Social media particularly Facebook, has kind of given us all opportunities to read things from other people that they share. And I happen to be in groups of ministers on Facebook. And I think they're supposed to be, I I assume they're like-minded. I mean, they've all been through the same rigors of training and preparation as I have. They have all been ordained in their respective churches, but then they get on Facebook and they start sharing some stuff. And I wonder, I just want to do that facepalm. They would sometimes say things similar to this. Well, all those people that got saved in Cordelia's house, they would have chosen God anyway. No. No. You and I both know, if you've been paying attention to my preaching the last year or two, you and I both know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one seeks after God. If God does anything in you, if you turn to him, is because God has already begun to work in your heart through the power of his word and spirit. The seed has already been planted. A light light is already piercing into your dark soul. It's not because you chose, it's because he's prepared you. Because scripture teaches us in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I have a friend who is a street preacher. Happened to be preaching in I've forgotten the city. He was in Georgia just recently, in a park. Preaching the gospel—it's what he loves to do. He says he's nervous in a pulpit, but he's fearless out on the street. And just a straight gospel message. And this man walked up to him, right up in his face. He said, do you believe homosexuals are going to hell? Did you just preach that? And he said, "Uh, no, I didn't say anything about that, as a matter of fact. And he hadn't. but it kind of demonstrates how someone who was living in sin could be so bold as to come face to face with a preacher of the gospel and dare them. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? God's power over the rebellious, stubborn souls of men is significant. We preach and teach that God has the power and authority to do all that he pleases. But we always assume that whatever pleases us pleases God, don't we? He's going to do what I ask him to. That's what prayer is for. And quite frankly, none of us deserve his mercy and grace. none of us do and what mercy and grace we have received is because it was his work in you you didn't earn it you didn't merit it you didn't win it God was merciful God's power over rebellious stubborn soul is expressed Also, not just in his grace, but sometimes in his judgment. Sometimes he lets people go the way they would normally go. He never offers them mercy. He never offers them grace. He leaves their heart in darkness. And if you're truly saved, that should... Break your heart. Isaiah chapter 46, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declare the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, God's judgment will be called by him, by his authority, and the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Isaiah says that God will call a bird of prey, a time of judgment from a far country. He will also send a man for his counsel, a preacher, to bring the gospel. Both are very close. Both are very near to one another. God's grace and God's mercy. That is significant to keep in mind. God's power over rebellious, stubborn souls is expressed in his power and his judgment. It is also expressed in his grace. And all of this is significant. We can rejoice today because our text gives us an account where the significant power of the gospel saved many. Holy Spirit's power overwhelmed and conquered the sinful hearts of the Gentiles. And this was only the beginning. As we go through Acts, we're going to see this wonderful virus of grace spread by God's power, by his spirit and his word. Aren't you glad that he conquered your heart? Aren't you glad that he saved your soul? God's sovereign work of salvation through his word and his spirit is significant. God's power over rebellious, stubborn souls of men is significant. God's provision of mercy and grace is significant and must not be forgotten. We look at Acts chapter 2, the story of the day of Pentecost, and we look at Acts chapter 10 the Holy Spirit falling upon those at Caesarea and filling them with power and light and truth and saving the Gentiles. Luke tells the story three times because he knew that the pride of some men would still be rooted in the works and not in the promise of grace. Peter saw that when he got back to Jerusalem. Here was the primary preacher of the church at Jerusalem. The leader of the disciples. And they're calling him on the carpet. But they saw the light. And rejoiced that God's grace and salvation had come to the Gentiles. That they might have life. God's provision of mercy and grace is significant and it must not be forgotten. When you face trials, when you face temptations, when you face trouble, do not forget that God's grace is forever with you. Isaiah 43, when you pass, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the rivers, They will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be consumed. God promises to be with you. Hebrews 13 quotes Deuteronomy when it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he makes that promise to sinners. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I want you to be aware that your own, as those of you who profess faith in Christ, those of you who have received him as your Savior, and those of you who can still struggle with failures and and giving in to temptation from time to time, that should tell you how stubborn your heart and your soul are truly was that it were not for Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit you would never have sought him because if you were honest you probably would have said yeah I, I i loved my sin i was comfortable right there but he was merciful It did not wish to leave you in condemnation. And saved you. And now promises you are his very own child and he will never leave you. You are his family. You are his blood. And he will never forsake you. God's provision of mercy and grace is significant and must never be forgotten. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord, for your power and word. We thank you for your love for us. We know that we are sinners, and yet you gave your Son to take away the wrath and to leave us clean and righteous, healed and whole. May we take this as something significant to each and every one of us that we may rejoice, giving you praise. It is in the name of our Savior and for his glory we pray. Amen.